All right. Welcome, everybody. If you've joined us for ISCO Insights before, things are probably going to look a little bit different today. I'm Chelsea Rabideau. I'm hosting. Um, I'm taking the place of Will Bodak for a minute. He'll be back in a, a future episode, I'm sure. A couple of things. Um, it looks different because here in Kentucky, we are getting or expecting and just at the very beginning of a major ice storm. So we've sent everybody home to make sure that everyone stays safe. Um, we are so committed to bringing you a great presentation today. It's just got to be from the comfort of each of our own homes. So if you hear any errant dog barking, no, you didn't. And also, please ignore that my Christmas tree is still up. <laughs> no one was ever supposed to see that, but it adds a little ambiance to the room here. So we're just kind of rolling with what we're being handed. And like I said, we're still going to bring you some great information today. It's just in a little different format than you might be used to if you've joined Insights before. A couple of things. If you have any questions throughout the presentation, and please do feel free to ask anything that you want to ask. That's what our experts are here for today to answer any of your questions. You can just put those in the Q&A function down at the bottom of your screen. If you have any technical difficulties, you can put that in the chat function down below and we'll do our best to help you out with that. Um, we will take questions throughout the presentation, but we'll have plenty of time at the end as well if you wanna wait until then. But anytime, you can just pop it in that Q&A box and we'll be monitoring that and asking those questions. So without further ado, I'm gonna hand things over to Shane Schusler, who is the head of our department that does this incredibly detailed project management that we work on here at ISCO. And the goal today, as Shane will tell you, is to really kind of uh, take you through that process, what that process looks like after years of experience, we've fine-tuned it to what it is today. And, uh, and our experts are gonna share that with you. So I'll hand it over to Shane. Yeah, thank you, Chelsea, and uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, glad to have you. Um, loving the Christmas tree, by the way, Chelsea. Looks good behind oh, you there. So, thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks for back a month ago. <laughs> um, no, really glad to have you. Uh, again, my name is Shane Schusler. I am the Vice President of Global EPC and International Sales. Um, I've been with ISCO for uh, going on 20 years, hard to believe, and I've uh, been in the industry for 25 years. And I'm based, as uh, Chelsea said, here in Louisville, Kentucky, ISCO's global headquarters, and we're enjoying a nice winter storm here. So that being said, I'm going to kick it over to uh, two guys that are going to be doing most of the talking today. The first one is Jason Kerber. Hey, Jason. Hi, I'm Jason Kerber. Uh, hello from already IC Southern Indiana. It's heading your way, guys, so get ready. Uh, I'm with the uh, part of the project management execution group here at, at ISCO. It's my team's job to uh, evaluate the purchase orders once they've been awarded. Uh, wrap our heads around specifications, uh, uh, terms, conditions, things like that, so we completely understand uh, the, what's required of us to execute the project correctly. Great. Thank you, Jason. And now to our friend who's got warmer weather than we do up here, Richard Coombs, who's down in Houston, and uh, Mr. Sheffield Wednesday. Hey, Richard. Yeah. Thank you, Shane. Hi, how are you? Hi, everybody. Um, to be honest, the weather's not that great down here either. I think we're we're forecasted some uh, some icy kind of slushy conditions for this evening and tomorrow as well. So yeah, it seems like most of the US has been affected. Anyway, my name is Richard Coombs. I'm the Director of Global EPC Sales. I've been with ISCO for six years. I've spent uh, four of those years here in the Houston area. Prior to that, working with ISCO over in Europe. Uh, I've been working in the kind of the EPC industry um, for probably about the last 20 years all told. So uh, happy to have you today and uh, hopefully everybody is uh, is nice and warm and safe. 
Yeah, thank you, Richard. So uh, yeah, we'll get right into it. I know everybody's busy and uh, <clears throat> I appreciate, again, uh, appreciate your time today. So uh, first, uh, the topics that we're gonna talk about today, um, you know, cover the execution of, of any major project that ISCO participates in. Uh, but one of the themes you'll see today is the kickoff meeting. So uh, something that we really have found uh, over the years is that a kickoff meeting uh, after receipt of a purchase order um, really can set the stage for a successful uh, project execution. So you'll hear that uh, throughout the day today. And uh, the first one here is going to be quality and documentation. I'm going to kick it over to Richard here in a second. But uh, just a quick story. Uh, ISCO was fortunate enough to receive an award from a uh, large EPC, a global EPC, here recently, uh, where the uh, president of this organization uh, did an actual uh, uh, short presentation, if you will. But anyway, the thing he said, uh, the top 1% of their vendors were sitting in that particular room receiving this award was because they turned in their quality documentation uh, complete and on time. And it really kind of sunk in with me that, uh, you know, we do a nice job of that. But um, how important it is for an EPC or any, uh, any contractor, uh, end user, for example, that uh, to get that information in their possession so they can flip the switch on their plant, whatever that is, and uh, start generating money. So anyway, with that, I'm going to kick it over to Richard, and he's going to talk a little bit about uh, the quality and documentation. Thank you, Shane. Um, so Shane mentioned the importance of the kickoff meeting, and I think it's something that, uh, particularly on the larger, more complicated projects that we work on, not just in EPC, but throughout the whole of ISCO's business, we believe that a kickoff meeting is something that is really important uh, to the success of the overall delivery of that project. Um, the first area we typically look at, I mean, once, once we receive the purchase order, we look at the contract and the documentation anyway. But as part of that kickoff meeting, uh, we like to run through the contract in as much detail as we can to ensure that all the commercial terms are as per the agreement that we have with our clients and all the contractual, sorry, the, the technical the quality and the other aspects of the contract are in line with those uh, negotiations that we may have had prior to purchase order award. So the first stage, just making sure that both parties are absolutely 100% aware of their commitments under this particular contract. Within that contract review, we also look at all the different documents that we have to, uh, to provide. And generally the, the, the really important document for for us uh, when we're looking at a major project is the inspection and test plan. When we look at the inspection and test plan, everyone out there will be familiar with one of these, I would imagine. Um, it's really just a roadmap to how we manufacture the pipes, the fittings, whatever it is we're supplying as part of our contract. Uh, it looks at the standards that we have to follow and it looks at where our client wants to come and monitor our performance in accordance with, uh, with those relevant standards and the, uh, the ITP has set down. Uh, the ITP comes in different forms. Um, it can be something that our clients give us that we have to follow, or it can just be a standard ITP that uh, ISCO has produced in the past. But typically for us, absolutely the most uh, critical document because until this is signed, we really cannot start manufacturing pipes or fittings or whatever else it is that we're actually building for you. So as I say, ITP inspection and test plan, very, very important. Um, the next thing that we look at and we try and cover early is flow down requirements within any contract. And 
Shane's very familiar with this from the, the front end of our negotiations with our clients because we're typically looking at commercial flowdowns. But where we talk about flowdown requirements here are, again, potentially uh, information that you would require from any sub-vendors that we're engaging with as part of the delivery of the project. So that might be packaging requirements. It might be marking requirements. Whatever it may be, we just ensure that those things are known as early as possible. The worst thing that can happen for us, for Jason and his team, is that a flowdown requirement isn't captured early enough. We've possibly got the material in our stock in one of our yards, in our, it's sitting in our inventory ready to be delivered. And we find out that there's something that you guys need that hasn't been captured correctly at an early stage. So again, very important for us to ensure that all those flowdowns come from you to ISCO and of course to any sub-vendors that we're working with. Yeah, Richard, I think it's important to, to note here too, I mean, you mentioned the you know, knowing early about these particular uh, flowdowns, but you know, uh, you know, flowdowns in a lot of cases will impact pricing, uh, could impact vendor selection from an ISCO standpoint, either, you know, domestic and the international. Uh, there's a lot of, a lot of variables there. So yeah, understanding these early in the process during the proposal stage is critical. Absolutely. Yeah. Very much so. So we've dealt with the flowdown. And then the next thing that we tend to talk about with our clients is exactly what documents they need from us. Um, almost every major project that we work on has a document requirement list, um, lots and lots of acronyms, SDL, SDDR, VDR, whatever it is you guys choose to call it. But it typically tells us what documents you need to receive from us to enable us to support the project and eventually produce the final data book that you can submit to your clients to ensure that the project or, or our portion of the project is closed out successfully. Those submittals can be all manner of different uh, items from industry standard documents, such as the material handling guide that's been produced by the PPI, ISCO documentation, standard ISCO documentation, such as the catalog or extracts from the catalog, and then also specific documents that we will provide as part of the uh, deliverables that we're asked to provide to our clients. And you can generally there's a, a time frame associated with submittal of documents that we have to be very careful to achieve. So that can be purchase order date plus two weeks, plus four weeks, and so on and so forth, all the way through till the submittal of the final data book. Uh, and we're very, very conscious of achieving those deadlines for you because it then allows you to pass that through to your clients as I mentioned, satisfactory close out this portion of the delivery. Hey, Richard, can you touch on the kind of delivery method for the submittals? Uh, and is it an email, yeah. simple email in most cases, or I know with portals are pretty uh, popular. Yeah, so I mean, kind of interesting, actually. And, and Jason and his team are now getting used to multiple different uh, online portals that our clients tend to use. Um, some of our international clients actually still require a full paper version of everything that we submit. I mean, our preference, of course, is to do it electronically. It can be done a lot quicker that way rather than printing out and, and mailing out large catalogs worth of, uh, of information. But yeah, all manner of different portals, all manner of different methods. And uh, Jason and his team have got really good experience of dealing with that now. 
you can save the trees as well if you're not going hard copies. Correct. <laughs> right. Correct. Right. I know in a previous presentation, we had a, a picture, I think, talking about some middles, uh, someone chopping a tree down. So anyway, uh, yeah, thank you for that, Richard. Um, you know, again, quality and documentation is a huge part, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning of that segment there. So we're going to move on now and we're going to talk a little bit about schooling. So Shane, uh, before we before we pop yeah, into that section, yeah. I'd love to pop up a poll here real quick. We've got um, some questions that we'd love the audience to engage with us on. And I think the first one has to do with what people are feeling about their um, project management strategies. You know, are you looking for um, help right now? Do you feel like you have a pretty solid system of project management? Are you looking to improve? Um, we've got a couple other questions in there as well. I think those are supposed to show up a little bit further down the line, but you can go ahead and answer those now if you want to. But um, the second one is what kind of projects you're involved in and then whether or not you have any projects coming up for which you would consider HGPE. And again, we can pop this up again a little bit later in the presentation. It's just that first question right now. We're curious to see um, how people are feeling about you know, the systems that they have in place right now. So if people want to go ahead and vote on that, um, we take a look at those answers a little bit later and kind of see uh, what information people like to get from us. So um, I'll hand it back over to you, Shane. Just wanted to get some info there real quick. Yep. Nope. Appreciate it. It's always good intel. Uh, so hopefully everybody uh, participated there. But uh, yeah, we're going to move on now to spooling. Um, if you've been in the industrial realm uh, for any period of time, um, you know, steel spooling, steel piping systems have been spooled for um, many, many uh, decades for that, uh, just for a long time. And uh, probably about 15 years ago, uh, polyethylene started getting spooled when you got into uh, uh, 3D modeling and those kinds of things. And uh, so it's really been a big part of our business, uh, but it really adds a lot of value to a project, um, no matter what the material is. It's, it basically allows you to control the, you know, the fabrication uh, the welding um, in an enclosed environment, uh, better quality control, uh, safer environment, you avoid the you know, conditions uh, that sites may have with weather and so on and so forth. So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And um, I'm going to kick it over to Jason and uh, let him start with uh, isometrics. Thanks, Shane. So yeah, uh, as you said, a good portion of most of the projects we handle today uh, typically involve some sort of some sort of spooling, uh, prefabrication of at one of our facilities where we're shipping puzzle pieces out to the construction uh, construction job sites and they're, they're putting them together. I think it's something that, uh, especially the, the construction folks that we deal with are, are appreciative of. Uh, it, it frees them up from some of the difficult wells or difficult conditions that they have to perform well with. So, um, again, this is a theme we're going to talk about all the time, uh, the kickoff meeting throughout this, this presentation. Um, Richard, the stuff that Richard talked about with documentation and, and specification review and, and PO, PO review is definitely important, but we want to understand, that, uh, my team wants to understand the scope of the, of the project first. So the first thing we're going to start asking is how many isometrics are we going to get and when are we going to get them so we can start uh, develop, developing a plan on our end. We've got to turn those into fabrication drawings that we can use at the shop. Uh, fabrication drawings have to be submitted to our clients for approval, things like that. Uh, so we always want to know what we're going to get and when. So uh, always talking about that uh, right up front. Uh, you know, is it 100 ISOs? Is it 1,000 ISOs? How, how complete are you? How close are you? We know that typically HCPE is, is usually the first, one of the first materials that go in the ground on these large projects. Uh, so we, we also know more often than not, 
that probably don't have a complete uh, engineering is not complete yet. Uh, so we've got to talk about that. How soon will you be complete? How soon will we start seeing drawings? Uh, once we know that information, then we can go to the next step, which is developing a schedule of our own uh, as far as schooling goes. So I think that's the next thing we're going to talk about there. Yeah, quick question for you, Jason, before we move on. Um, so turnaround time, when we receive an ISO you know, from a client, is that a pretty quick process or can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, a fairly quick process. We make it as quick as we can. Uh, it's all going to depend on, first of all, the amount of ISOs that we receive. But our goal is uh, within two weeks of you submitting drawings to us, we've got drawings back in your hand uh, of what the schools are going to look like so that you can approve them if, if need be. Uh, again, if you give us a thousand drawings, we're probably not going to turn around a thousand of those in two weeks. Uh, but in that time period, you're, you're going to start to see a steady flow of drawings uh, showing up uh, in your emails or on your desk uh, with me asking you for approval. All right. So uh, I think we're muted there, Shane. Oh, yeah. I'll say we're just going to move on here to the production schedule and uh, what that looks like. Gotcha. So uh, the production schedule is, is sort of the next thing that we look at. You know, the first question uh, I'm going to ask after how many ISOs are you going to get or when are you breaking ground and when are you planning on putting schools in the ground? Uh, because I, I use that information to start to develop a plan in my head. Where are we going to fabricate? When do we need to start fabricating? What type of materials do I have to expedite? Things like that. So uh, it, it's always important to know a start date, and I'm also going to ask an end date. Uh, you know, when do you plan on uh, putting the last piece of HPPE in the ground? Uh, that kind of gives me an idea. This is the range of uh, uh, how much time we have to build. Is that feasible? Is it not feasible? Do we need to start discussions now about how that schedule can or can't be met? Uh, so all important information that we want to talk about up front so it doesn't become a surprise later on once uh, uh, once the client's expecting something on site and we potentially couldn't couldn't perform. Yeah, and I know geography plays a big part in where you, you spool these projects. Um, you know, can you basically just touch on kind of, you know, the options ISCO can uh, provide relative to spooling? Sure. So we, uh, ISCO has the advantage that we've, we've got fabrication facilities all over the country. We've got uh, uh, facilities on the East Coast, uh, down in Florida, in Martinsburg, West Virginia. You could even maybe consider probably Louisville, Kentucky as an East Coast uh, uh, fabrication facility. Uh, we've got fabrication facilities out west in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, Kingman, Arizona, places like that. And then we've got concentrations of uh, fabrication uh, facilities down in the uh, uh, in the Gulf in the Gulf Coast in Houston, Baton Rouge, Corsicana, Texas, uh, with an acquisition we just had. Yeah, no, no. You know, scheduling, we've had spooling projects where they last literally two or three weeks. And then I know we've had some recent spooling projects that have been going on for years. So, yeah, the schedule uh, can fluctuate a lot project to project. So uh, with that being said, let's look, uh, look at the revision plan. So obviously every ISO that we receive isn't going to be exactly how it's going to go into the ground. So what do we do uh, related to revisions? Sure. So like I said, we, we realize that HDPE is very early in the process. So. Uh, it's highly unlikely that most people are going to have their engineering complete by the time that purchase order is handed over to uh, uh, to start the HDPE process. So uh, we realize that there are going to be changes that happen. Sometimes they're simple changes, you know, a fitting changes from a 45 to a 90, or an additional fitting has to be added. Sometimes there are uh, drastic changes where a whole uh, a whole line has to be changed from 24 inch to 20 inch or 24 inch to 36 inch. Uh, so we we realize that happens, and it's, it's always something we want to talk about up front, you know. When those changes happen, here's the steps that need to go. 
uh, in order for us to incorporate those into our plan. If you had to throw a number on it, Jason, um, say it's 100 ISOs, 100 schools, what's the percentage of schools or ISOs that have revisions on them? I imagine it's probably high. Uh, it, it's, it's not as high as it could be. I mean, usually we, we fall somewhere around that 10 to 15% range is, uh, is kind of where I think we're at. So in your example, 100 schools, we're probably looking at revising 10 to 15 schools throughout that process. Obviously, if we grow exponentially, it's a thousand schools. We're looking at 100, 100 to 150 that could potentially have changes to them. Now, late in process, you know, is it basically before first weld, or when can, you know, when do we have to pull the plug on a revision, or uh, does it really matter? So we're we're pretty flexible on that. Uh, we'll, we'll try to uh, allow you to make changes up until uh, uh, up until the school is actually in fabrication, and uh, you know, we're we're happy to and change as, as much as we can. One of the things we try to do when I talk about building those schedules is expedite as much material as I can. So uh, we bring in as much material as we can, uh, whatever that change could be, whether it's um, you know adding additional fitting, hopefully we've got it on hand already. Uh, if it's, we need to move from one side to another, we, we, we can try to change that up as quickly as, as we can. But um, you know we're, we're not sticklers about when changes happen. We're happy to do it. Even after a school has been fabricated, if there's a change that needs to be done and it hasn't shipped yet, um, we typically volunteer to make that change ourselves before it ever goes to the field. You're good. Uh, well, thank you for that, Jason. We're going to move on now. And uh, now that we've talked a little bit about documentation, uh, talked a little bit about manufacturing slash spooling, uh, really the next step in the, uh, the project process is going to be inspecting those goods. And I'm going to turn it back over to Richard. He's going to touch on a few areas related to inspections. So, Richard, back to you. Thanks, Shane. Thanks, Jason. Um, yeah, something that uh, pretty much every major EPC project that we're involved in requires. Um, and we're seeing it flow down a little bit more now into some of our other business, but some form of inspection of the product before it leaves our facilities to ensure that uh, it's been manufactured correctly. Um, you know, we've been living in a kind of a strange world for the last two years, having to talk to one another via Zoom and Teams and things like that. But Actually, from an inspection perspective, um, it's allowed us to, to develop some tools that really can be helpful to our clients when we look at you know, the in-person traditional method of inspection versus a remote or virtual inspection. Um, and during the pandemic, ISCO has been able to develop a really nice system and set of procedures to enable us to uh, Bring that as an advantage to the project from hopefully a, a cost and a time perspective. So you know, if you do need to inspect some goods, maybe it's something that you can think about as a way of improving the process um, and shaving a little bit of time off the overall process. So you can see you can see on the screen if you're looking at the, uh, the presentation, some uh, some actual video footage that's being shown on a computer screen, which is somebody actually witnessing an automated pressure test that we're running in one of our facilities. But typically what we tend to do for our major projects is, is really just a series of measurements and checks on dimensions to ensure that the product that we've manufactured and that we are supplying is in line with, uh, with what you're expecting to buy. And of course, that ties in very, very closely to the inspection and test plan that we talked about a little earlier. Yeah, Richard, I think this is definitely one area where cost saving strategies comes into play here with the virtual, uh, especially on an international project, for example, you know, sending inspectors 
around the world to uh, look at goods. So this is definitely one that can save our uh, clients some money uh, doing yeah. virtual. So yeah, um, I think it's definitely the way forwards. Um, you know, maybe maybe the first inspection might be an in-person inspection, but if you've got future releases and future deliveries, perhaps take advantage of the virtual remote inspection at that time. Yeah, definitely. All right, we're gonna move on and uh, talk a little bit about the guidelines related to inspection. Yeah, so again, various, various different sets of guidelines depending on who we're working with, but really the first thing we look at is the, the level of inspection, how often our clients want to come and witness or verify that what we're manufacturing is uh, to the purchase order and the technical specifications. Again, mostly covered in the inspection and task plan, uh, but something that we do pay a great deal of attention to, to ensure that we're uh, delivering on the expectations that you may have. Um, in terms of the actual inspection itself and the notification to that inspection, uh, we're finding now, and we're working with our clients to shorten that notification period. If you're, if you're buying a complicated piece of equipment, a pressure vessel, an air-cooled heat exchange, or what it, whatever it may be, you may need quite a significant amount of time in terms of notice to mobilize your inspection team to that facility. With polyethylene, because it's relatively straightforward, we really don't need any more than five or 10 working days to notify our clients that the, uh, the inspector is required on site. So again, worth considering, depending on how the documentation reads, if you can shorten that time period of uh, inspection notification, then that again helps us to get our product out of the door a little quicker. So once we've, uh, once we've notified you, once your inspector is on site, once you're looking at it from a virtual or from a remote perspective, the next really important document for us is the inspection release certificate. And uh, again, we're very, very keen to ensure that all the documentation you need, all the product that you're measuring is on hand, readily uh, available so that your inspectors can issue us, issue us with an inspection release certificate. And again, this is a really important document for us because it allows us then to move forward to pack the goods, get them loaded onto trucks and basically start the shipping process over to your job sites. Now, this is definitely, definitely an important one here. You know, it's, uh, it's always good news at ISCO when we receive these uh, uh, release certificates and it's time to get materials moving to the site. And that's a good segue into our next area of uh, discussion here, and that's uh, delivery. And I'm going to kick it back over to Jason. But, you know, we've gone through all these different uh, you know, manufacturing inspections. Uh, delivery is one that uh, kind of kickoff meeting. Um, it seems like over the years I've seen uh, some hangups in uh, what was agreed, not necessarily what was agreed to, but how materials are going to be delivered. So uh, it's very important to talk about that early in the process. And Jason's going to cover a few of those topics that we like to cover uh, all in the kickoff meeting. So Jason. And Shane, Shane, before you jump into that real quick, uh, sorry, Jason, to interrupt you, but I'm going to try this question one more time uh, on our poll questions. We're going to get to the second question now, which um, this one has to do with what uh, projects people are mainly working on. So Barry, if you can pop up that second poll question that we put in there, um, we're asking people who didn't answer on the previous one, um, which, uh, Barry, do we have that? There it is. What kind of projects people are mainly involved in? So power generation, energy, or municipal water, sewer, gas, et cetera. So um, 
can go ahead and answer that question. Uh, we'll give it a few seconds before we get into Jason. I know you've got a riveting, riveting presentation on delivery. There's all kinds of aspects that we've got to talk about with that. So we'll give people a couple questions to answer, and then I will hand it over to you, sir. Sure, everyone's on the edge of their seats, Chelsea. Oh, I know. They always are when you speak, Jason. <laughs> all right, go ahead. All right, so as Shane said, we're going to talk about now about delivery. So uh, we've sourced the products. We understand the specifications. They've been inspected. Uh, now let's talk about delivery. Uh, what we want the client to understand up front and the discussions we want to have up front are uh, an idea of, of what it's going to look, what the material is going to look like when it actually arrives on site. Uh, be it, um, you know, uh, bundled pipe, uh, be it crated uh, fittings or palletized fittings, things like that. Uh, customers going to have an expectation of what they think things should look like, and then there's uh, how we plan on it looking like. So we want to make sure uh, we understand uh, each other. We're all we're both on the same page. Hey, when the fittings show up, they're going to be on a pallet. Uh, when the pipe shows up, it's going to be banded together. When tools show up, this is what the tools are going to look like. Uh, so we we always want to have those discussions. Make sure there's no issues. Once material starts showing up, that hey, I thought this was going to look like this, or this is going to be packaged this way or that way. Uh, we want to understand that up front. To make sure nothing gets rejected once it shows up. So uh, labeling is another thing. Uh, every every customer is a little bit different. Uh, they may have a, a PO line item number, or a commodity code, or something like that that needs to be on a project-specific label. Sometimes our labels work. Sometimes our documents work. Sometimes we have to put extra nomenclature or or extra descriptions or extra information on a document in order for somebody that's receiving on site to check that box that yes, this material has been received. Uh, you can process it down on the line so that when invoice shows up, it can be paid. Uh, so labeling and packing is always something we want to talk about. Uh, the next thing we want to talk about is uh, how things are going to be delivered this time. Um, so, you know, hopefully everybody out there, probably everybody out there is familiar with, with ECO terms. So we see a lot of different ECO terms on the on the contracts that we see, whether it be FOB or SDA or XWorks or, or whatever. Uh, that's all worked out on the front side uh, with, with Richard and, and, his, and Shane and, and their groups. Uh, my concern as far as executing the project, I really want to know who is responsible for getting that material to the site. Is it us that is uh, loading, scheduling the trucks, loading the trucks, and delivering it, or is it the client that's sending trucks to our facility to be loaded so that they can be taken to the site? Uh, again, I think there's always some uh, a little bit of cloudiness there uh, when a PO gone, when a PO gets uh, sent over. Uh, who is who is actually uh, handling that? So that's always something. In that kickoff meeting again that we want to talk about, who's scheduling the trucks? Are we working with the client's logistics team or is it my logistics team working with the client to let them know here's what's being loaded when and here's what it's arriving? Yeah, Jason, I think it's important to, to note here too that uh, when, when it comes to freight, uh, when we're bidding a project uh, before we start executing it, that you know, most cases it's a freight estimate, right? Especially if it's a spooling project, for example. We talk about you know revisions to ISOs, uh, things change there. It's like putting little puzzles together on each uh, flatbed truck. So I uh, definitely want to you know let people know that in many cases when we're bidding a job, those are estimates. And I'm going to put you on the spot here. And if you had to pick your favorite uh, of these options, uh, which would that be for delivering materials to the site? So uh, uh, I'm a little bit of a control freak when it comes to these projects. So I would prefer that uh, that we do all the scheduling of the trucks. The delivery, so uh, you know, like a, an FCA, 
uh, it's so facility with, with us scheduling the truck so that I can control what's being loaded and when, when the trucks are being scheduled. Uh, not that we won't work with the client to uh, make sure they're ready to receive or uh, uh, you know what material they want to be on site, but it gives me a little bit more control with what's coming and going. Uh, I, my comfort level is, is always with us doing it that way. You're definitely a control freak, and that's, I think, what makes you good, so uh, what you do. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, let's uh, take a look at the delivery schedule now. How do you uh, basically work that out with a client, and how how frequently are you talking with the clients about this? Sure. So uh, again, uh, one of the one of the first questions, like I said, I'm always going to ask you is when are you when are you breaking ground? When are you putting HCPE in the ground? So I'm going to use that information to start figuring out what I can have ready and, and when. And we always want to make sure we're as transparent with the client as we can be. You know, we develop reports and spreadsheets and whatnot that we're sending over to them. On a regular basis, ideally, uh, we want to have a, a weekly meeting, a bi-weekly meeting, something like that with the client, whether it be a Zoom meeting, uh, whether it be a, a phone call, or, or even in some cases just an email where I send, uh, you know, I write everything out uh, and kind of explain to them what's going on in an email. Uh, but we like to have those at least weekly or bi-weekly if we can. And the reason for that, the big reason for that is I know all of our clients are meeting with their owners, uh, the other stakeholders in the project, and they've got to report back to them, hey, this is what we're going to have done and, and when. If we can't, if we don't give them that information, then they can't give good answers to their stakeholders on their end. So we always work with the client to develop that schedule. We're as transparent as we can be with them what the actual schedule is. We don't want them guessing when stuff's going to arrive. I want them to know, and I want that information to come from me. All right. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up with one more uh, subtopic here under the delivery. And that's uh, related to the site requirements. Now stuff is going to start showing up at the job site. Jason, what's that look like? Yeah, so, uh, you know, typically a vast majority of our stuff is going to be delivered on a dedicated, via dedicated truck, uh, whether it be school pieces or bundled pipe or pallets full of fittings. Uh, the last thing that we that I want to get is a phone call from the site saying, hey, your, your driver showed up with the truck today and he didn't have the proper certification or he was missing the, the PPE that was required or uh, whatever, you know, he showed up on Tuesday and we don't accept deliveries on Tuesday. So uh, this is another one that uh, uh, maybe not necessarily always gets covered in the detail that it should, but it's something we always want to take a look at. If there are any site or project-specific requirements uh, concerning delivery, uh, like I said, uh, all the stuff I've talked about or, you know, pipe stakes required, nothing can be loaded higher than the pipe stakes. Uh, there are a million different possibilities out there, but it's important that we know that because likely that truck is carrying material is going to keep the project moving. And if they have to turn it around and send it back to us, there's potential that the project could, uh, could go on hold and, and nobody wants that to happen. Yeah, no doubt. It's, um, you know, again, the safety part of it, it's uh, our first core value disco. Uh, you see it all over job sites uh, around the country. So it's, it's very important uh, to make sure that we get this right the first time and every time. So uh, thank you for that, Jason. Uh, we're going to move on now. And we're going to move into uh, an area called Don't Forget. And uh, the reason we put Don't Forget on this is these are items that if we do not talk about them at the, in the outset of the project uh, during you know kickoff meeting, as we had mentioned earlier, uh, these items are going to come up. Uh, I've seen it uh, time and time again where we haven't discussed it early in the process. So um, the first one here is uh, invoicing requirements. I'm going to turn it right back over to Jason. But uh, obviously, we as a supplier like to... Uh, get the materials delivered and get that invoiced and make sure our cash flow is on the right side. So Jason, can you touch on the invoicing part of this, please? 
Yeah, so first of all, I'll just say this section is probably my favorite part of the whole presentation, being part of the execution group, because these are the things, the potential roadblocks that don't always get covered. You know, we, in a kickoff meeting, we do that 5,000-foot view, and we talk about the important things like priorities and schedules and uh, uh, specifications and all that other good stuff, and these are the little things that get missed. And if they do get missed somewhere along the along the way, they're probably going to cause a problem. So invoicing is, is one that seems like it comes up a lot. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that we're submitting an invoice to our clients that can be paid. So we need to know what information should be on that invoice, whether it's a, you know, a PO number or a project number, uh, uh, line item numbers from the, the purchase order for their individual components, uh, commodity codes or, or whatever it is they call those particular uh, items in their system, even tax information. Is it tax exempt? Is it not? Do we have a tax exemption form or do we not? Those are all things that, uh, that can hold up payment on an invoice. Uh, if it's not submitted correctly. And again, uh, I said one of the last things I want the phone call about the truck being held up, but this is another one. I never want to get an email from AR saying, hey, you can't ship invoices. Uh, don't ship anything else till they pay, only to figure out that they're not paying because of something we didn't provide correctly. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point there, Jason. It's funny though, uh, sales guys like Richard and myself, we get really excited when we receive purchase orders. You get really excited when we get to send the invoices out. So I'm glad you're that way. That's why you're on the execution side and do so well at it. But uh, uh, thank you for that information. We're going to move now on to communication, and I'm going to kick it back over to Richard. And obviously, this is kind of a no-brainer. Uh, you know, you need to communicate, but he's going to touch on a couple of things that we try to do relative to our projects. Yeah, so as Shane said, absolutely um, a no-brainer. The most essential part of any successful transaction project is uh, is good communication. Um goes without saying that uh, we have multiple tools now to communicate from you know, email to phone to Zoom, whatever it might be. I think really the important thing for us is just knowing who we need to be talking to at what point during the project. And um, where we have really successful projects is where we, we establish that early on. We get a communication matrix in place. We know who we need to talk to should it be an expediting issue. We know who we need to talk to should it be uh, an accounts issue, for example, and the same from uh, from our side. You know, our clients know. You know, if it's not Jason who's running the project, they know who the project manager is in Jason's team. They can still get in touch with Shane, myself, whoever it is on the outside. But just setting up that communication matrix is uh, is really really important from our perspective, and it, it, it's proved to be very successful on the projects that we've worked on. Yeah, definitely, Richard. I know. Uh, weekly meetings, you know, during the course of the execution or bi-weekly, whatever the client prefers. But yeah, that communication is is critical. So we're going to move back on to uh, handling changes now. I know we talked about uh, revisions to uh, spools and ISOs, uh, but and I'm not even going to try to uh, pronounce this uh, Greek philosopher's name here. I'm going to stay away from that one. But uh, change is the only constant. It's it's we see it in every project. And uh, Jason's going to talk a little bit about the process on how we handle those changes. Yeah, so, uh, you know, Shane's right. We, we know changes are going to happen. We've kind of talked about that a little bit already. Uh, it, it, changes and maybe issues is, a, is another one we could have given changes slash issues. So there are going to be issues on site, changes on site. Uh, site may run into something that causes them not to be able to install where they're at. So they've got to pivot and move to this side of the yard and, uh, of the job site instead of that side of the job site. So uh, it's really important going back to what Richard just talked about, uh, communication. When issues or, or changes like that happen, it's super important to have those lines of communication already set up. We know the right people to talk to. 
to start knocking over those dominoes to make whatever change has to happen because of whatever occurring on site. Uh, those are communicated down the line properly. Same thing on our end. Uh, you know, I never want to make a, that phone call to the customer that says, hey, I know I said this was going to be delivered on X date, but I got to push it out to that date. If I'm not getting that information to the proper person, it doesn't get communicated to the construction folks on site, and they're standing there waiting on something to show up, which can cause havoc. So uh, we, 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 we want to know about changes, and we want to make sure the proper people are, uh, are identified. And, and, you know, me as a, as a dealing with vendors on my end, I feel like we really judge our vendors on when we present an issue to them or a change or something that needs to happen, how they react to that. And I, I know that our clients judge us the same way. We always want to be able to uh, be as flexible as we can and be as uh, responsive as we can when issues or changes happen. And if stuff isn't being communicated through properly, we're, we're, we're behind the eight ball already. So super important to, uh, uh, to understand how changes are, are communicated down the line. Yeah, and I think it's also important to note, Jason, you know, every contract that we've seen relative to the projects that we work is going to have a changes article in it. Um, you know, so understanding what that process is based on the owner, the, uh, the client of ours, uh, how they want to handle those changes is, is critical and, and doing it the right way. So uh, we have one more topic here to cover. And uh, now we've done all this work and it's time to finally install. And Rich is going to talk a little bit about you know, when we send uh, either equipment and or um personnel to the site and what that looks like from an ISCO perspective. So Richard. Yeah. Again, Shane, yeah, uh, very, very, very important for us to know these requirements as early as possible. Um, we've seen some really interesting requirements from project sites, whether it be relating to equipment, how that needs to be stored, how it needs to be delivered. Um, very important that we understand uh, those requirements as early as possible. Um, ensuring that it's delivered correctly and safely, of course. The same with our personnel. Typically, ISCO's approach is to try and work with our clients and train your own personnel so that you can use your craft labor as efficiently as, pos as possible. Um, but on the occasion that we do need to send one of our technical people to site, you know, very important that we know the requirements from, from site, from the local area what type of safety card they need, if there's any site-specific training uh, that our technicians need to go through to get onto that site. As long as we know that early enough, we can set the schedules in motion and we can ensure that they're fully trained, they have the right approvals to get onto site to work on, uh, on the installation the day that you guys need them to be there. Yeah, that is critical. And, you know, in many cases, contractors self-perform. Uh, there's a good chance that we're still probably either going to send equipment or personnel for, for training purposes or whatever that is. And then knowing early in the process as well, um, you're talking about, you know, for example, B31 qualifications for either the process, uh, the procedure or the uh, personnel. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big part of, of what we do when we have people going to site. So uh, with that being said, uh, that wraps up all the, the topics we wanted to cover today. Again, you know, really the critical thing here, um, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this presentation, was a kickoff meeting. All these topics that we discussed today um, are things that we would bring up in a kickoff meeting and make sure that, uh, you know, your team and our teams are aligned as to uh, how this project is going to be executed. And, uh, you know, the more you know up front, the better it's going to look at the back end. So with that being said, I'm going to kick it back over to Chelsea. And uh, it's all yours. You pick, you pick the bills there, Shane. Bold choice. I know. I, I thought they'd be in the Super Bowl this coming uh, a couple of weeks from now, but 
I guess I should have changed that to somebody else. Not this year, not this year. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much. That was such great information. And again, if you guys have any questions, put them in the Q&A box right now and we can ask these guys. I I love to grill them. In fact, I've got some questions lined up. Before we get into those, we've got one last poll question that we can pop up. Um, But just kind of, you know, as we're doing that, and again, um, just backing out a little bit and looking at this kickoff meeting, we say it time and time and time and time again, if you don't have that kickoff meeting, if you aren't asking the right questions, if you're not laying the proper groundwork, you're essentially setting yourself up for failure at some point in the project. Um, How long did it take to come up with, with a process for that kickoff meeting that covered all the bases? I guess I can jump in there. So I've, I've been part of the, uh, the EPC execution team for going on uh, about eight years now. So uh, this, this it's really a, a process that we've sort of developed over that time. Um, you know, when I first started, we didn't necessarily stress the kickoff meeting very much. Uh, we soon realized that that just causes heartache and, and there's, there's the potential for pitfalls along the way. So something we always, uh, we, we've started uh, suggesting to customers whether it be a, a face-to-face, and that's, that's what it was that up until a few years ago, you know, we, we would uh, we'd go out and actually sit down with customers, have face-to-face meetings with their procurement people and engineering people and uh, uh, their, their logistics folks and, and make plans and, and talk about everything. Now the world we live in, it's, uh, it's Zoom meetings and, uh, and uh, phone calls and things like that, conference calls. Uh, but it's, it's, no matter how you have it, it's, it's super, it's critical. To, uh, to the project uh, mm-hmm. uh, really being successful for everybody. Right, absolutely. And, you know, speaking of the things that have changed in the world in the last couple of years, you know, Richard, you touched a little bit on it um, earlier when we're talking about the inspections. Um, but I have a feeling that there are other processes along the way that have been impacted by the world kind of shutting down, opening back up, us having to come up with new technology. Um, how how important is being able to pursue new technology in the process of project management? I mean, from my perspective, I think we're always we're always trying to learn and improve. Um, mm-hmm. And if we can work with our clients to find better ways to do things, then it's in everybody's best interests. Um, from our side, we've implemented some technologies around that remote inspection. Uh, Jason has a fantastic tool that he can use uh, that allows us to take photos, allows us to demonstrate in a very, very simple document what uh, what that consignment of goods looks like. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of different ways, lots of different methods, but uh, I think the aim of the game is, as I say, continuous improvement. It's, uh, it's a core value of ISCO again. Um, if we right. can if we can manage that and deliver on that, then I think we're doing all of us are doing a good job for the uh, the projects that we're working on. And like you mentioned, you know, continuous improvement, and and we've spoken about this before, but it's not just a matter of coming into the job and having an existing knowledge of the technologies that are available. It's a commitment to staying on top of what becomes available every day because it is constantly changing as yeah. as the Greek philosopher that Shane refuses to pronounce says (laughs) change is the only constant. And, you know, I mean, 
you, you have to have someone who stays on top of it. So speaking of that, Jason, I think uh, you'd be the best one to answer this, but what kind of person makes a good team member for a project management team? Uh, somebody, that, that's a tough one to answer. Uh, you know, it's, it's somebody that's, that can really have 15 balls in the air at the same time and kind of know which one, plan on which one's coming down next, right? So, uh, so a circus clown. Hard really, yeah, a really good clown. And uh, we've got some clowns on our group this year. I'm, I'm one of them. There's no doubt. Uh, but yeah, you, you, uh, you know, micromanagement uh, can be good and bad. By no means, we don't want to micromanage people, but we do try to micromanage the project. We want to know, uh, I, I pride myself on knowing as much about that particular project as I possibly can. I want to yeah. learn about those projects. I, I want to know what the specifications are. I want to know what the requirements are. So uh, it's got to be somebody that's interested in not just pushing paper around and, and entering orders. Uh, you, you have to want to, to be involved and be part of that quote unquote team. You know, we, we tell our customers mm-hmm. all the time, this is a, this is a team project. If we want to be successful. We want you to be successful. So it's got to be somebody that uh, uh, that has those sort of ideals. I think right, well, um, yep. attention to detail is very important. And I think also in the world that we live in, major projects, I think you have to be patient as well. You know, a lot, a lot of the work right. that ISCO does is quite a quick turnaround. But when we talk about these major projects, you know, they can they can last months and years. And um, right. you have to be able to live with that duration. Uh, and and Keep keep performing to the optimum uh, perspective all the way through that. So yeah. yeah, patience is also a key attribute from my perspective. Persistence, persistence, yeah. Patience, yeah. persistence, ability to juggle all of the all of the above. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate the the information that you've shared today. And um, we have some exciting news, which is that this is our first insights of 2022. Um, We've been doing this now for almost two years. We're, I think, maybe a month or two shy of doing this for two years. And it's been an incredible experience. But this year, in the spirit of change being the only constant, we are going to be launching a podcast which is essentially the audio recording of this episode. But um, you know, if someone was not able to attend that you know, we'll be emailing out a link to that. We'll also be sharing it on all of our social media sites. So be sure to follow us there. It's a great way to, you know, we know not everyone is always sitting behind a desk. You guys are on the move, on the go. And we want to provide an option for you to get this great information while you are on the road or wherever you may be. So we will be sending out information about that. Again, we thank you so much for joining us today. If you want more information about upcoming episodes, you can always go to isco-pipe.com insights. And again, thank you for joining us. We are coming right up to the top of the hour. Uh, Jason, Shane, Richard, I appreciate you all being with us. And Barrett, who's running the show behind the scenes. I hope everyone who is in the line of this storm is staying safe. And we'll see you all next time. Have a great day.